just down the road here. Um, Lynn Haven Parkway, I've been there for eight years. Uh, and I'm at the end of my process of being ordained uh, in the PCA as a corporate chaplain, uh, which, which hopefully will happen this winter time. But it's good to be uh, with you all this morning. Uh, and I'm excited to uh, preach you guys from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5. I'm going to be covering the Sermon on the Mount uh, together today. And, and I want to do that uh, as I want to cover the introduction. Uh, as kind of a a venue into the entire Sermon on the Mount, what it's really about. Uh, Because this is a unique place uh, where Jesus really reveals to us, what does it mean to live in his kingdom? What does it mean to to be disciples of his kingdom? Uh, And and what we also want to realize is that there's this thing that that Matthew's doing uh, in his Gospels. We kind of take a step back and look at the whole narrative. He actually uh, begins and ends his, his message in Matthew 5 uh, and, in, and in Matthew uh, 29 uh, there with Jesus on a mountain. Sorry, Matthew 28, with Jesus on a mountain. And, and he's comparing Jesus' ministry to Moses' ministry. He's comparing uh, Jesus' kingdom to the old covenant kingdom and saying Jesus is here ushering in this new kingdom, uh, bringing in this grace, revealing to us what it means to live as citizens of God's kingdom. So if you turn with me in your Bibles uh, or in the bulletin, we're going to read uh, Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 through 16 together. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if its salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except for to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. So I have a confession to make uh, as, as we begin this sermon this morning. I love Disney World. I, I'm just I'm a, a huge fan. Uh, as I just said, I'm working on my process of being ordained to the PCA, and I spent the last seven years getting to travel down to RTSD, that is RTS Disney, because if you know, there is nothing in Orlando besides Disney. Uh, and, and myself and my family, uh, you know, well, I'll speak for myself because I'm the only one up here. I'm, I'm a huge fanatic. Uh, it, you know, th- there is just no place on earth like Disney. Uh, it, it's it's this, this kind of universe in and of itself that is, you know, around the idea of consumerism, of you just being happy. Uh, and as you can see, if you look behind you, I have three little kids. Uh, and, you know, if you go to Disney... You're always tired. You, you always end up by the end of the day carrying someone on your shoulders or maybe two or three of them. 
Uh, but you always go back to your, uh, you know, wherever you're staying, and you're happy. And, and it's kind of this, you know, this, this, this universe, this thing that they've made, kind of what we all want to experience with social media and the Instagram life of just kind of always putting forward the best things, always kind of living this satisfied life. And, and, and in my opinion, Disney has done a great job at it, and, and we all love to go down there. Uh, but, but I think what, what Jesus is exposing to us here in the Sermon on the Mount is he's saying, look, we all want this satisfied life. We all want to live this good life. We all want to live this Disney World life. But the question is, how, how do we get there? What is the good life? And, and what Jesus says to us here in the Sermon on the Mount is, is that true happiness comes to us by living in Jesus' kingdom because he alone gives us the grace that, that we need to live. Let me say that again. True happiness, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, as he says in Matthew 5 through 7 of the Sermon Now, true happiness comes by living in Jesus' kingdom because Jesus alone is able to give us the grace that we need to live. And we want to look at that point today in, in three ways together. We want to see what is the nature of Jesus's kingdom. We want to see how is this kingdom realized for us? How do we get to be a part of this kingdom? And finally, we want to see, okay, but what does it mean for us to live in Jesus' kingdom? So first we want to see, okay, what is the nature of Jesus' kingdom? And, and Jesus really tells us two things as we kind of jump in here to the Sermon on the Mount. He says that his kingdom is both countercultural, but it's also full of justice and goodness. First, Jesus' kingdom is countercultural. We can see that as, as he begins to disclose to us, what is this kingdom really about? Or, or more so, who are those who are honored in his kingdom? And we see Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are reviled and persecuted. And immediately we begin to realize, you know, this is not any sort of kingdom. This is not any sort of message that we hear in the culture around us. Because, you know, if, if you just go and, and browse Amazon or you go to, you know, the Christian bookstore, just the general bookstore, and you see what are the, you know, what are the top selling, uh, you know, books? What are the top selling leadership books, self-help books? And no one's going to really lead in this way. No one's going to say, you know who the, who the top people are? You know who are the blessed people are? They're the ones who are weak. They're the ones who are hungry. They're the ones who are thirsty. But Jesus goes there right from the beginning. He says, these people are blessed. These people display what it means to be blessed in my kingdom. These people, they live their lives in a way, those who, who, who uh, emanate these attributes live their lives in a way that is consistent with this kingdom that he discloses to us. But when we think about the culture around us, oftentimes we see that people lead with power, that they lead with coercion, that they lead with a heavy hand, that they want us to be part of their agenda, that they want everything from us. And yet we, we, uh, we ourselves are empty as we take part in these kingdoms. But Jesus says, that's not so with my kingdom. Because my kingdom is one that elevates hunger, that elevates thirst, that elevates humility and meekness. And I was, uh, as I said, I, I work just down the road at, at AGI, and, and I'm part of this, this HR team. And so every, every, um, 
you know, every week we have this this meeting, and there was several weeks ago we were meeting, uh, and and we were talking about this upcoming managers meeting, uh, and and as the the team was discussing this, everyone in the room was talking about the part they were going to be playing. It was pretty pretty quickly I realized that that I was like the only one in the room who had no part in this, and I, I realized it was like, man, you know, what, you know, I I'm, I'm I feel really you know kind of out of place here, and I, and I think that's oftentimes how how we are. You know, we, we want to be considered important. We want to be considered the top. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing for us. But Jesus brings in the question. He says, look, is this the most important thing in your life? Is this what you are seeking after? Is this the kingdom that you wish to be part of? Is this the greatest desire of your life? And Jesus immediately brings us there as he begins this sermon. But we see not only is this kingdom countercultural because of of what Jesus presents as being the highest attributes, we also see that in a similar way, this kingdom is good and is just. And that, again, is, is countercultural, but Jesus says, look, this is what this kingdom is about. He says in verse 7, 8, and 9, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. And I think you and I, in this polarized world that we now occupy, that it becomes even more polarized every day, that we want to see peace. That we want to see those who are pure in heart. We want to see people show mercy. But the question is, okay, but where is that in our world? And Jesus says, no, this comes to us in a very countercultural way. Because this purity, this peace that Jesus is describing here, comes as being citizens of this kingdom, comes as being children of of the living God, comes as as receiving this great blessing that he is pouring out to us through the gospel. And and we see an example of that, just a a, a, a historical example in the second century. Uh, there's, There's a man who writes a letter to a Roman official describing the nature and the character of this early church about who they are and what they live their lives like. And he says to this, uh, to this high official in the Roman Empire, he says, Christians are not different from other people by country, language, or custom. They do not live in cities of their own or speak strange dialect or have some other uh, peculiar lifestyle. So in other words, you know, they're living among us as, as we do now in America, right? We live among the culture. They don't occupy their own cities. You know, it's not like every Christian gets to live in their own neighborhood. They're out among us. But then he says, They live in both Greek and barbarian cities wherever chance has put them. They follow local customs in clothing and food and in all aspects of life. But at the same time, they display to us a wonderful and certainly unusual lifestyle of citizenship. They live in their own country, but as aliens. They marry and have children uh, just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. They pass their days on earth, but as citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, but they go beyond the laws in their own lives. They love everyone, yet are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and gain life. They are poor and yet make many rich. They lack everything and yet have plenty of all things. They are dishonored and yet they gain glory through their dishonor. Now you think about that statement for a minute, what, what he's saying to the lives of these early Christians. 
And I don't mean to bring that up to say, you know, look, we're not living like that today, but in a certain way, think about what the value of their life was in. Think about for them what the center of the circle was. It was this kingdom that Jesus presents to us in Matthew. It was this idea of of living for Christ as being the the highest priority, the top priority of our lives. And and, and what Matthew is saying to us is that just reorients our lives. It, It shows us that there is power and weakness, that there is glory and humility, that there is triumph through peace. And these aren't things that we think about often, right? But yet Jesus says, no, this is what my kingdom is like. So if that's what his kingdom is like, the, the next question for us is, okay, but then how do we realize this kingdom? How do we become part of this kingdom? And, and Jesus tells us, as you would expect, that we receive this kingdom not by anything that we do, but simply by his grace to us. Jesus says in verses uh, 13 through 15, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill, and it cannot be hidden. Jesus says, look, you don't get to be part of this kingdom because you're the the most humble, which is good news for me, right? You don't get to be part of this kingdom because you are the best peacemaker, because you have the purest heart. No, these things are true for us because Jesus' grace is given freely to us, not by anything we did or that we earned, but simply by what he gives us. John says in the introduction to his gospel, he says, but to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not because of what they did, not because of who they are, not because of how kind they are even, but simply because of his grace. Simply because they believed in the name of Christ, and he said, you are my children. You get to be part of this kingdom. You get to have this grace and this love and this mercy that is mine through the Holy Spirit in your life. And Jesus promises that to us. But what what we need to understand is that there is no other kingdom in this earth that promises us this type of grace. I mean, think about the other kingdoms that you and I want to be a part of. You know, I've just mentioned the kingdom of Disney World, the kingdom of consumerism, the kingdom, you know, of, of... wanting our, 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 our best of seeking after ourselves. And these kingdoms require everything of us, and yet in the end, they really leave us empty and give us nothing. But Jesus says, no, it's not so with my kingdom. Because my kingdom comes to you by grace, requires nothing of you, but gives you everything. I recently heard this uh, story of a, a man, his name is uh, Ajmal. He uh, was living in Afghanistan. He helped out the Canadian government. Uh, and so he and his family had citizenship in, in Canada. Uh, and so back at the end of August, as we all know, uh, as, as you know, many citizens of other nations who were uh, originally Afghani citizens, that they were clearing out of the country and the country was falling. Um, this, this man was, was trying to get out. Uh, he, you know, this was the end of August. He had had a mental breakdown. And he was trying to get himself out and his family out. So he finally gets on the phone with this guy. His name is Kirk Johnson. He lives in uh, California. He gets on the phone with him because he was helping people get out of the country. And so Kirk Johnson says to this guy, Ajmal, he says, okay, here's what you need to do. You and your family are on this side of the city. He looked it up on Google Maps. He said, you need to go through this canal, this kind of sewage drain. And you need to, to go through that. You need to get up to the airport, and there's a Canadian embassy right beside there. So he does it. And, and he makes his way up there. 
But by the time he gets up to the embassy, he has lost his family in the crowd. So he finally is able to get his family back together, but the only one who's lacking is his brother. And so the Canadian government's about to take them in, about to take them out of the country, and they're wondering, okay, what are we going to do? So they turn to the crowd, and, and, and they, they ask the crowd, can you help us? Can you find Ajmal's brother? So they turn, they, they, everyone you know, sends his telephone, sends a message throughout the crowd, and they're able to find him, and he, and he comes out, and they all get out of the country safely. Now, the point is, is this, as it relates to our text. Think about your lives as we live in, in the kingdoms that we live in. And, and one day, this call of grace comes to us as to Ajmal's brother and reminds us that our citizenship isn't here, but it's outside of here. That our citizenship ultimately does not reside here, although we are currently living here, but it's in heaven. And as this call comes, we, we realize that, that our lives are not ultimately attached to the lives of of what is embodied in that city, embodied in that crowd, that is sure destruction and death. But but our lives have a calling that is elsewhere. Our lives have this, this heavenly calling. And that's what Jesus promises to us. That's what he gives to us by this grace. As he invites us to, to be believers in him, he invites us to be citizens of this kingdom. And he gives that to us freely by his grace. And he says, look, you, you are now citizens of heaven. You can live for that. You are able to live for that. And that's what he promises to us. Now, the final question for us is, okay, so, so then what, what does it look like? What does it mean to live now as citizens of Jesus' kingdom. And thankfully, Jesus tells us uh, in his own words here as he closes the introduction, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus says, look, you have been given this kingdom by grace so you can now live for it. This is yours. You don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to act as if it's not yours. You don't have to act as if you need to do something to deserve it. This is yours. This is your kingdom. If you put your faith and your hope in Christ, and so now you you may live for his grace. But what does that mean to live for Jesus' grace? How would that change our lives now? If, If we saw that our citizenship is in heaven and not here on earth, that our citizenship is, is with God and does not reside in this world? Would it, would it make our lives maybe look a little more like the early church, as we just read that quote earlier, that maybe we would be a, a little more unashamed in our love for others, that maybe we would be a little more free in our resources and our mercy and our peace towards others? Would that change our relationship with our coworkers? Will that change our relationship with our families? Will that change our relationship with our children, with our neighbors? If we knew that God was calling us to live in this eternal kingdom, if God was promising us this grace, um, Jesus says uh, in Matthew 13, in, in his parables, he says that the kingdom of heaven 
is like this treasure that's buried in the field. And, and when we find it, that we would sell all that we have in order to possess that treasure. Now, I really struggle with that parable. Because I'm like, okay, you know, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. Sell everything we have, Jesus? Give everything for this kingdom? And yet he says, no, it's, it's just that great. It is so much better than everything we possess. It is worth everything. And yet the question for us is, do, do we think that? Do we believe that? Do we acknowledge that in the way that we treat our neighbors? Do we acknowledge that in the way we treat our children? Do we acknowledge that in, in, in the lives that we bring into the workplace? Do we acknowledge the greatness of his kingdom and the love that he promise, promises for us? Um, Mike Allen, in his, in his book, uh, Grounded in Heaven, he, he gives the quote, he says, Hope for what God has promised tomorrow should shape our lives today. Let me say that again. Hope for what God has promised tomorrow should shape our lives today. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, look, this, this eternal kingdom is so much better. Do you hope in that? Do you want that? Because when, when Martin Luther King Jr. made that famous speech, I have a dream, if you remember. And he was saying, you know, that as, he, as he saw this future of people living reconcil- in reconciled relationships, living in this culture together, Loving each other and not hating each other. He was thinking about God's eternal promise in heaven. He said, look, we can have heaven now. If you realize God's grace and love, we realize his mercy is for us now, that heaven is breaking into earth now. We can have that love and grace. Because one chapter later, when Jesus gives us Lord Prayer, which we're about to say together in just a moment, we'll say it in the way it's printed in the bulletin, but... Actually, in the Greek, it, it, it does not say on earth as it is in heaven, but, but when Jesus says it, it comes first as in heaven, so also on earth. Now, that might not be a big deal, but the point is, is this. He's saying, look, what, what God has promised us in heaven is now breaking into earth through Jesus' kingdom and Jesus' grace. And the question for us today is, okay, are we going to be part of that? Are we going to put our hope in that? Is that going to be all to us? Or is something else going to occupy that place in our lives? Is something else going to have that hold on us? And Jesus says, no. Heaven is the goal. God's grace is now breaking into our lives, into our worlds. And we can live in that. And we can live to that by his love and by his grace. So now, if you will close with me, we'll all say uh, the words of the Lord's Prayer together here that are printed in your bulletin, and we'll use that as as our closing prayer. Uh, And after we say that, I'll, I'll say a small prayer for us in closing. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, we do ask that you, by your grace, that you would work in us, that you would cause this heavenly kingdom to break into our lives even now. Lord, may we trust you more. May we know you more. May we live to you more now because of your love and your grace to us through the cross, through the resurrection, 
Lord, may we have this life and possess it now, uh, and may we live into that life as you have promised us here in your gospel. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.